Drew Brown is going to come at us for a third edition here. We recorded this sometime in the fall, September, I think, end of September. And we just kept going and we knew what we wanted to talk about, had a vague idea, but we just kept on going. And in this edition, we're going to talk about racism, justice, protest, all that jazz from a perspective of, of black and brown bodies and what we're feeling and what Drew is feeling and still is feeling in his body during the upheaval that we're in the midst of. Once again, vulnerability is one of the key characteristics of these three episodes. This is part three of three. We're going to be chatting about COVID and uncertainty, dive in a little bit about racism in the church. Both of us have a context of white evangelicalism or any white denomination and what it's like to be a black or brown body in those contexts. It's not fun. It's not safe. Talk about BLM and the world in our midst now crying for justice, pursuing a posture of anti-racism, and we share our feelings about that. We don't leave you hanging here, though. I think one of the important pieces of prophetic voices is that you call to attention where God is speaking in our midst and where we're missing as church community, as the world but we also need to leave a sense of hope. That's not to say that in the conversation of racism that you don't just sit in the tension of white supremacy, for example, especially if you're a white person and you sit in that tension for a long time. There's no easy solution, of course, but we want to give a perspective of a new way, a hope, especially for those Christians of color out there, those marginalized people who are looking for space to belong. So that's what's on tap in this edition So we're going to pick up the conversation right off the bat to dive in where we're going to bring it closer to home with the BLM and anti-racism events that have happened most recently in our world. So Drew, you were chatting about your encounters and the nose and the nose and the nose and part of that you identified as straight up racism. You also use the word tokenism. You're the token up in the crowd. COVID-19 hits in January, comes to our shores in February, March. And as we're all dealing with a global pandemic, April turns into May and then the George Floyd incident, the Ahmaud Arbery incident, the murder just prior, Breonna Taylor. There were six, seven indigenous Folks across this land who were killed by the RCMP during the same time period, anti-racism protests across this land. Oh my gosh. What were you feeling in your bones? Oh man, so much anger. Um, uh, Remember, okay, so remember the, I think it was the same day as George Floyd. Earlier that day, there was a a, a man who was uh, bird watching in New in uh, Central Park, and there right. was a right. Yeah. Can't remember the names at all. She was the Amy Cooper. That's it. So his name was. Uh, they're the same name. Same name, yeah. Same, Cooper as well. Um, Chris Cooper. Okay. Um, I just remember seeing that video. Yeah. And it scarred me. Now people are going. 
wait, that scarred you and not George Floyd. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that has been my experience growing up in small town, wherever mm-hmm. exactly that. Yeah. They lost track of one black guy in town. <laughs> that was my high school. It was like two black people. We lost track of both of them. <laughs> ID, please. And so, like, I remember seeing that and just feeling, like, beyond angry, just like, oh, my gosh. Like, my hands were shaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was uh, with a buddy at the time, and I showed him the video. And he was like, dude, your hand, why are your hands shaking? Mm. And then he saw the video. He was like, oh, 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 shoot. Okay, 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 okay. And then I think it was, like, that afternoon, the other video was up, or I, that's, or I saw it anyway. I didn't see it until later on that afternoon. Mm. And I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, what is happening?" Uh-huh. That sense of like frenzy, or anger, or frustration, or um, anxiety, or I don't know what—it's trauma, it, man. It, it it didn't. It was a high alert from mm-hmm. I guess it was was that like beginning of May, I guess, till. Literally like three weeks ago, mm-hmm. I like turned off my Instagram. I like stopped posting on Facebook. I stopped checking. I was only on Twitter because Twitter, uh, people who I have on Twitter, like they're amazing people. And I was able to, you can sort of filter out things a lot easier on Twitter than you can for other things. So I just stopped. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I think, I, I think I'm going crazy. Yeah. No. Um, and so I had to, so like the whole entire time, it was a constant state of like just stress and tension. Yeah. Trauma. And the hardest thing or yeah, the hardest thing was actually trying to get, again, going back to the whole, like, how can the church respond was trying to get the church. Now I'm okay. Let me preface this. I'm mm-hmm. part of a small spiritual, spiritual community here in, uh, in the Milton area. Um, and they're great. They are woke AF. They are amazing people. Like they get it more than any other congregation I've ever been a part of in my life. And I think there's only two black people in the congregation. No, it's three, but they get it. Mm-hmm. They are like, they understand the importance of what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And they are engaging with the work. They don't need to read the anti-racism books because they already read it. Like, they already been on it. Like they already been past cool. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, before the hashtags, before that, they're yeah. already yeah. trying to do that work, trying to figure out how can we best really truly be anti-racist in this world? How can we, tr- anyway. So once, if you're listening and you go to my church, I'm not talking about you, just so you know. Um, and so I was trying to engage people, pastors, leaders, musicians, worship leaders, artists in the church. Like let's engage with this work let's do our best to actually learn and grow. And people, some people were like, yeah, I'm in, man. Let's do this. Some are kind of like, dude, it's not that bad. Dude, we live in Canada. Don't worry about it. Mm. Actually, it was really funny. was how many pastors would say, you know what? Focus more on Canada than you do in the United States. Mm-hmm, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, I, okay. Get so ready. Yeah, ignorant. <laughs> So you have this, uh, you are far more connected into the white evangelical space than I am. And it's curious because 
I had never seen you post as much on anti-racist um, content and yeah. just raising your voice on this because before it was kind of all right. Drew is Drew straddling the fence here, and and it's not something that often heard you talk about. And then it switched in May. And the thing that was interesting was how much flack you were getting. <laughs> and I'm just like, maybe I just don't have friends there. But yeah, as you're saying, the the folks that oh, focus on Canada, or that was my characterization, um, yeah, or forget about, you know, racism isn't real. I feel that one. Uh, stop playing the victim. So you were getting a lot of racist flack, not outright, you know, white supremacy, but the covert kind of veiled racism from Christian folks. Yes. Is that right? Um, yeah, which was awesome. Um, I love that. It was great. It was kind of like, for me, it was like, and there it is. Mm. Does everybody see this? So you're, okay. Was it in that moment? my hunch has been confirmed that kind of feeling or you kind yeah. of knew all along. I knew all along. It was just proof in the pudding. Like I, there was, I was part of this chat, uh, not chat group. It was like a Facebook thread with some of the people I love the most in the world. And I've always, and people that I've talked to them about like, Hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe that viewpoint, the view of the world and of different races and cultures, maybe that's wrong for you to think. And they were always pushed back. I'm like, okay, you know what? Okay, maybe, you know, whatever. And it was amazing to see them be completely honest and open and vulnerable about how truly racist they are. And nothing they care, nothing they want to change. They're like, no, 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 this, Drew, stop it. There is no such thing as systemic mm. racism. You know what? The, none of these things are race-based. You know what? Blue lives matter. What about the police? What about they're going through, guys? What about, like, okay, thank you. Like, thank you so much hmm. for saying all the things that you've said. It means so much to me because now I can stop doubting myself. Okay. Because right? now I'm like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe they're not that, maybe, maybe they don't actually think that. Maybe they don't, they're not that bad. Maybe, hmm. maybe they're just sort of like really, maybe the tensions are high for them because they're concerned about, you know, friends who are cops or whatever. Maybe, maybe, oh, oh no. No, 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 no. I, I can't make any more excuses. Yeah. They are full on racist. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's like a, we have absorbed a form of racialized gaslighting. Yes. That forces us to think just like that. Yes. To think that, oh man, I just, my default is to benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt, benefit. Yes. Maybe you just had a bad day. Maybe you just, <laughs> maybe you just had a bad racist day and you're yes. not normally racist. And how pervasive is racism in Canadian culture? It's like, well, it's in everything. It's in the air. It's in the water. It's, this is it. This is it. No, actually, I think you posted something really cool. It's not in the air. It is the air. It is the air. You breathe. I, 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 and I yeah. love that, man. I was like, yes. And so for me, like, um, I've always focused on going back to, like, neighborhood work that I do in terms of, like, really trying to bring people together. Um that was me doing anti-racism work, but not using that language because that language can be triggering to people. So um, saying like anti-racist, people go, oh, well, I'm not racist at all. I'm like, no, 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 it's not. 
no, you don't get it. It's <laughs> well, but I, I don't need to. So I didn't want to, I never want to use that language, but mm. I, what I want to do was actually to teach that idea, but how can we actually work, work against hatred and actually find ways to meet and to build bridges and to meet on that bridge of difference and actually like love each other and connect with each other. So for me, the whole neighborhood thing was me doing anti-racism work. Yeah. Now I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't like, I don't want to use language to kind of like trick people, not trick people, kind of like soften the blow. Assuage the guilt. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because at, my, at first I'm like, I really want people to learn and to heal. And if they are, if they're feeling that they're on the defensive, they won't engage with that, which is true, mm-hmm, sure. but now I just don't care. Well, also, you need to name it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all out of, I don't know if I can swear. I'm, 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 all, I'm all out of F's to give. Yeah. I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And so um, I'm just going to call it like it is. Dude, <laughs> you racist. Yeah. And you know what? The, and now that you're on the outside a little bit, looking at, or on the edge of inside, let's say. Right. You know, it's it's easier yes. to say these things when you have less to lose. That's right. You know, right. and and so it's, it's always been easy for me to call out these pastors because a they they don't need to listen to me. They can ignore me and they can stay in their world because that's where yeah. the privilege rests in, in that world. Now I think that world is crumbling, but that's where that privilege is is resting. And like we said off air, there is a there's a shift coming. Right. There's a shift coming generationally and. I think the indicator, the visceral reminder that there is hope on the horizon for people of color is twofold. One, we believe we can step into our own gifts and abilities mm-hmm. and and we don't have to placate or or um, please the master. and and two, there there is new momentum. And, and we were chatting a little bit about what was happening with these protests. And there's been a couple of uh, podcasts uh, on this series in season one and season two, where we are talking with uh, Deb and Moneta about protests and how it's just like, in the context for us, it was Calgary, right? Calgary doesn't protest. We're too busy counting money. Like we're oil, oil barons. <laughs> we're young oil barons. The mountains are out there. We play hockey and we just keep to ourselves, model minorities, and they're all up in the Northeast anyways. And so they're a bit busy playing cricket and everyone else is busy playing hockey. And Forget it. We don't protest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and then these anti-racist process uh, protests hit, and the streets filled. I don't know what it was like in Milton or in Toronto. Dude, it was. It was insane. Toronto has been great. Toronto has been wonderful. Um, there's been um, rumors of things that, oh my gosh, um, you know. Uh, Something's gonna happen today. Nothing ever happened. It was always amazing. Even the even the ones lately, with, you know, the defund the police, um, you know, protests have been pretty cool and wonderful and um, great. It's been What's sketchy com- though, hasn't it? Sorry, finish your 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 thought there on. Oh yeah, no. Um, uh, the one in Milton though caught me by surprise because hmm. um, I didn't realize um, how, how uh, people actually cared here hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um so uh, a couple kids from the school just down the street where my, where my kids go to school um they were like we're gonna do a protest and they spun around their circles and their parents spun around their circles and sort of you know spread the word and the word spread 
and they're assuming it'd be like a couple hundred people over 2000 people showed up and mm -hmm. it was a beautiful display of like unity and community and 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 justice and i mean the, the cops came because you know like you know young people are young people sometimes and so they started acting like fools but it, in a fun way but still you know disturbing the peace if you will um so they took over the whole entire like streets for a little bit and the cops were like okay they were like let's just let this happen we'll give them a few minutes and then we'll clear it out and the cops did they they sat there they hung out they're great. And then I got on the horn and said, Hey, okay, everybody, we're going to the going over here to finish the protest. And everybody grabbed their signs and walked away. And the cops were like, Well, that was easy. <laughs> like just it was super cool, super chill, and it was such a beautiful display of hope and of justice. It was wonderful. Wonderful. But yes, I think you're talking about what's been happening in downtown Toronto with some of the mess and some of the arrests. And is that where you're going with that? It's different in in Toronto. It's a, it's not reminiscent of a Seattle or a Minneapolis, but it's right. it's different. It's different right. than the rest of Canada. Yeah, I, I think I can say that. It's different yeah. than the rest yeah, of Canada. It's a little bit reminiscent of some of the rural places we have. I know Diolita from uh, Decolonizing Christianity Canada. That's not where she's from, but in, in the group um, that we're a part of. She has a bravery to go into rural Alberta with Black Lives protests. Right, uh, that's bravery. Um, but Toronto, yeah, is is a little bit different, quite a bit different than. So, what, yeah, share with us a little bit of of what's going on downtown. Um, because tensions are getting pretty high, and people are really pushing the defund the police thing pretty hard, and so, which is great. Um, so I, um, there was a, uh, a rally not too long ago. I think it was maybe two weeks ago and the police actually wound up arresting three of the main speakers for, um, for the rally and arrested them with really no kind of like, Oh, we're arresting you for this. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they weren't allowed a phone call and they mm -hmm. weren't, uh, they disappeared. A certain thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, what are you guys doing? Um, and so that was interesting. And so for me, <laughs> right now, um, the, the police services, they have an opportunity here to really, really, um, make a case for themselves. They can really, if they wanted to be like, Hey, you know what guys, let's just play nice. Let's just try and do what we can to meet them halfway. Let's like, I'm thinking like the where I live. Uh, this is Halton region. So the Halton region right now, they are, they've actually been defunding for a couple of years now. Even before the hype, they've been trying to mm -hmm. find ways to to um, reallocate a lot of funds into community services. Um, they're already doing that work. They can do still do a better work. There's still more work to be done, but this is something they've been trying to do for a long, long time. And people begin the flock for that. Um, Toronto has the money. They put out the budget a couple of days ago. Hmm. And, I, and I've been saying to everybody, read the budget. Because you can't be using that hashtag hmm. without going through that budget with a fine-tooth comb. Know what you're talking about when you use a hashtag. It's not just supposed to be using some angry, cool thing to put online. Check this out. If you live in the GTA, read this budget report so you know 
that there's a lot of money <laughs> that can be used elsewhere. Um, and so when this when this riot happened, these kids they stayed downtown for days, bro. Days. It wasn't like a let's just hang out and then go back home. Days, tents. Hmm. Actually, and a lot of the protests have been tent based. And so I'm finding that um, it's I'm finding that this is moving away from this is going to sound so harsh. Um, it's moving away from the hype and glory that some of these um, things in Canada has been because it's easy to do a one-time event mm-hmm. and it's glorious and we need that. But I'm seeing people come out from the long haul and that makes me feel so foolish because hmm. why am I not doing that? Hmm. Now, I mean, I got resp- I got responsibilities. I got things I got to do. But there are people who are seriously trying to do whatever they can, and they're willing to put their bodies at, <laughs> at risk to do it. That, for me, is kind of like gives me so much hope. When I see there's like 200 people camped downtown in front of city, in front of city hall, or in front of the, the police headquarters, and they're just not moving, I'm like. Oh my gosh, we need more of that. When I see what's happening out in Portland, I'm like, I'm like, keep going, people. What are we, day 70 now? I can't remember what, what, what day we're on at the time of recording right now. But they're still going. It's a level of bravery, I think. And, and uh, there are different layers to affecting change. But so long as there's injustice, then there's really no sense of going back to platitudes or uh, conversations around policy shifts. And I know Calgary had a couple of days of three days worth of uh, conversation at the civic level on anti-racism. I don't know what will happen policy wise. We have a handful of visible minorities on, on council, but I don't know what will shift. And my sense is across the country and Calgary is very different that there, there could be a couple of things, but we don't have the same outright, both systemic racism outright or, or rather at the forefront um, where everyone can see as larger cities like um, anti-Asian racism out in the open in Vancouver and anti-immigrant um uh, xenophobia and prejudice in Montreal and then uh, and anti-blackness and of course anti anti everything indigenous for across oh this country yeah, yeah which has never shifted yeah. but Toronto's different in the sense that it's one of the cities where whites are the minority yet the systems are all steeped in whiteness yes completely and, and you can see the dynamics play out yes and you can pick up um Desmond Cole's book oh the skin we're in man and you can pick up, and so before the skin we're in, uh, there's uh, 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 yes, Robin yes. Maynard, I think. Yes, yeah. I think I got that name right. Uh, Policing Black Lives. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So you get a sense of what happens when white institutions face off against growing minority populations, and yeah. the problems uh, that you face are, are exacerbated in in uh, Toronto. Because white white flight from the uh, the city basically and immigration has shifted culturally uh, the demographics of that city, and yet the institutions have not shifted. 
Right. And the conflict is is palpable. And and of course you have the token minorities, the token chief of police, right? The token minority <laughs> yeah. chief of police who's like, well, this is not gonna help anything, right? Exactly. And and there's your there's one feature at a civic level at a very large city where of what happens when that demographic shifts when the minorities come to the forefront and there's a white minority but the institution doesn't shift i think speaks to to some level less the violence or less the physical violence to the condition of the church and i think the church should be at the forefront of this justice narrative in pursuit of anti-racism for justice for all in fact, it requires a church. Oh my God! Yes, to be at the table, not at the forefront because it's incapable. Right, it's totally incapable. But our right. story, our gospel story of a Christ who triumphs over all death and brokenness, is one that requires a church to co-create and collaborate alongside right. the work of writing systemic injustice. Yes, and the institutional church is not capable of doing that. That's my take. That's good. I don't I think, agree. yeah, I don't think they can do it because it's so steeped in whiteness. It's both Agreed. steeped in white supremacy and also uh, it's there's just so much in terms of power brokers, uh, whites at the helm. Yes. Um, that's not negative in terms that white people are, are the problem. It's, the problem is the system of whiteness and also the utter lack of shared voices of different voices at right. the decision-making table. Do you have hope for the church? <laughs> ah, that's good, man. I don't know what's like, and, and we see in the U S that there are better examples, right? of at least how um, emerging Asian or, or brown, and brown in the U.S., this is something I've learned, brown is more Latinx, whereas right. here brown is more uh, Southeast Asian. That's right. And black church, of course, are emerging at the forefront. I wonder if this is our time. Could I don't be. wonder. I think this is our time as visible minorities to now come to both the forefront of co-creating at the church to shift and change the institution, but also forget the institution uh, to create our own things. That'd be nice. What's stopping us? Why not? Can we... I feel there's not a sense of unity yet well uh yeah you're right and uh, but I, uh, unity around a sense of reimagining what it means to be at the forefront right there's unity but in white church spaces there right. are multi-ethnic big multi-ethnic mostly in toronto yeah uh, uh, ontario region um multi-ethnic spaces but it's completely white leadership right so i mean it's sort of there but i don't know what's i don't know what's missing from that wokeness I know pl plenty of woke, uh, visible minorities who are happy to stay within it's true. white evangelicalism because they have this uh, this hope that they can change it. There it is. Did you have that hope? I did. I did for a while. Hmm. And yeah. then what? All that? <laughs> yeah. And then it all happened? Yeah. Would you go back? Oh, my gosh. 
I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could in good conscience. I'm just, I would be, it, I think I would really, 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 really piss off the senior pastor. Unless I was a senior pastor, then I'd be a different story. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I would just piss that person off way too much. I think I would demand too much. Um, well, surely there's got to be a community out there that resonates with what, what you're doing. Is, is scale or size the problem? It's funny, hey? Where's the big progressive churches? Like, you can do your thing, I bet. I bet you can do your thing, and you can be the lead, if that's what you're asking for, or be in the context of a community that's going to resonate with the things that you're putting out and the way that you think. That there are those communities, but they're small. You're, you're totally right. You're completely right. Yes. I don't, and, and we, this is my own formation that small is not, doesn't count as much as big. It is what it is. But they're out there. They're totally out there, man. Yeah, you're right. They, they are totally out there completely. Yes. Um, I just, there's, mm, I don't want to say that. Um, don't want to say never. Okay. Yeah. But I I can't see that happen. I think I really yearn to be a part of, if I was going to go back into that space, mm-hmm. um, it would need to be with an organization, with a community that has a bit of leverage. Because I really want to create or be a part of a place that's going to be safe, that's going to be... Huh, Brave, if you know what I'm saying, like a brave space as well. That's going to be um, a place for fighting for justice, a place for um, art that matters, hmm. um, a place that we can really dive into neighborhood and be completely known there. And I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm asking for a lot. No, I was going to say it sounds like a church. You would think, right? <laughs> You'd think. So, and that's so that's my concern. That's my concern. Um, and I mean, and and these things can happen with a small church. It's just harder to do these things well with a small church. No, nah, that's not true. It's it just lacks the energy a lot of times. It's totally possible. Oh my god! Yeah, maybe the people resource or something. Yeah. I, I understand what you're trying yeah. to trying to say there. I I would echo that. It's tough for me even in Cipher Church to enact a lot of different things. We perhaps embody a lot of those pieces, but we don't have the people resource to to mobilize them on wider scale or to even do them in a frequent rhythm. Right. Right. You know, and and that could be just a new reality. Yeah. 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 And that's fair. Sure. Sure. I feel like I might, I have this suspicion and I've never actually been in, in, like I grew up in it, but I've never served professionally as a career in it. But I have a suspicion that I might go back, not that I could survive in the church piece, I would have to be at the top. Right. Not the top, top, like yeah, that's yeah, yeah, no yeah. interest either, but to be up there enough to enact proper institutional change, yes. policy shifts, yes. and new thinking. Yes. But be insular enough that I don't actually answer to anyone that doesn't accommodate change or is too um, 
that is holding on to white supremacy as a sacred object. How that's that's impossible. Um, so I, I mean, it, it doesn't exist. I don't think it exists. Right. You yeah. have to create it. Yeah. That's right. Because I mean, like, if you're not the lead pastor, you're going to have someone over you. Yeah. And so there needs to be some relationship there. I'm not even thinking church anymore. I, I'm thinking it would have oh, to be parachurch or denomination for uh, the changes. I, I wouldn't fight in a, in a, in a, church that's too small to me oh my gosh yeah. and i certainly would and the problem with the local church part is i can't survive i can't even now in in the conventional mainstream service itself yep. the yep. community part i see its value the service mm, twice a year <laughs> like why do you need it more easter and christmas see people were onto something easter and christmas and maybe a special event. But other than that, what do you need that for? Ultimately, it's just teaching and a bunch of sing-alongs. And I hate the sing-alongs. Yep. And sorry, Drew. And I like what's I don't need preaching like that. It's really about the embodied presence of the community, right? That's it, brother. Yes. Let's decentralize and cancel a bunch of services. That's what I advocate for a lot of folks. But no, I would never be able to exist in... In in a, in a space where I had to go to service. Oh my gosh, that would kill me. That would kill my faith. Bingo. And Cipher Church, luckily, we've done it once in our three year plus existence, but we do other things. COVID's thrown everything for a loop, but sure, we've done a bunch of different things. And yeah, I think I would go back in that sense. But ultimately. We we have the skills and abilities to lead our own people or, or to dream. This is actually everything that you were listing off as the church of the future is is or the church that we'd hope for is part of this dream that I have, hopefully in my next book hmm. on belonging. Oh it's basically what are the places and spaces? What does that look like for marginalized people? Because we yearn for belonging and I'm damn tired of assimilating. Oh my gosh. Yes. Come and, on, man. And you listed it out. Yeah, buy two copies. Available now at your... Lo no, it's not. Sponsored by... <laughs> it's not either. The Dove Awards. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> Drew, do you have any parting thoughts for us? We covered a lot of ground. We did. Wow. I think... Mm, give us a hope, you know, like give us the hope because what good is a prophet if they just tell you how you're all going to hell yeah, or great. going to burn? Give us the hope of what God's up to. Uh, I, I have nothing, but I will say this. Um, many, 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 many years ago, um, when I used to think that Bono from U2 was a modern day psalmist. Mm. He had this amazing, uh, and maybe he's still from someone else. I can't remember, but he had this amazing quote where he said, um, you know, the, the problem with the church is that we're all s sitting there or, 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 or standing there on our knees, you know, begging God to move. And God is on his knees begging us to move. Hmm. Um, and I think for me, that's where we're at. I think, hmm. We need to take just more ownership of cleaning up this world. 
And that starts just with who's next door. Um, it starts with who's across the street. Wait, I'm not cleaning them up, but in terms of like, let's start just loving them well. And if we can treat everybody literally the way that Jesus would, if he was walking down these same streets, walking down to the same grocery aisles, walking around the pub with a couple of beers in his hand, if mm-hmm. we can treat people in the exact same way, mm-hmm. it's amazing how things change. Mm-hmm. That is like that 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 is the stupidest thing ever, but it's so true. Like it sounds like a like a youth group, like you know, like saying, but it's it really is true. There's, there's hope in that. And so I think the more that we can invite more people into that way of thinking, like how do we best love people well? How can we reach and meet the needs of people around us? All of a sudden, you're, you're crossing off a lot of, you're ticking a lot of boxes. You're ticking off the anti-racism box. You're ticking off like how do we, kill poverty in our in our towns you're you're destroying homelessness you are you know like there's a pro, uh, issue with our prisons um I, there's a prison not too far from where i'm at and right now they are not it's a women's prison and they are not giving any of the women um any kind of anything like there's no reading materials um something as simple as reading materials dude um there's uh yeah so no books um uh there's they, they're not allowed to make calls uh they, they're changing like the conditions so now it's like totally inhumane um i'm like this is in canada man down the street so how how can i or how can the church sort of do whatever we can to sort of change or bring change to that system i think the more we can sort of think about like how can we best make our local world better it becomes first of all it's a lot easier to manage right i don't know how to how to fix canada that's way beyond me there's so many issues and not that i want to unplug from those issues no no i'm not saying that but let's get our hands dirty with what's in our own backyard you'll find that the trails to the bigger problems become a little more open to us as i engage with my community as i engage with my leaders as I engage with my neighbors, the paths to changing the province or the, or the region, the province and the nation can become clearer, especially as spiritual communities start to do what they do, as they gather, as they hang out, as they talk, as they commiserate, <laughs> as they dream together, as they reimagine what this can look like. I feel God is sort of saying, yo, for cry out loud, people, do something. Hmm. Don't just wait for the young people to do something. Don't just wait for the people of color to, to, you know, for them to get injured or die for you to actually respond. Well, that didn't work before. If, right? I think just do something. And so, like, okay, well, what can we do? What's in our own backyard? That's the easiest way to go. That's the lowest hanging fruit. Eventually, you got to knock the whole tree down. But for now, what can you do? I think, for me, that's how I've been living my life these last few years. Yep. And I've been trying to get people to do the same. And that just gives me hope. Because there's always something to do. There's always someone to love. There's always some hope to give. 
And that just feels like, uh, I guess, a good way of doing life the Jesus way. Well, that's it. Three parts with Drew Brown. That's a gift. Thanks so much, Drew. You can find Drew on Twitter. I know he has a rhythm where he does midnight sessions. Well, midnight, depending where you are in Canada, on his Instagram. All the links are going to be in the show notes, so check out Drew. Thanks so much, buddy, for just sharing with us, once again, your heart, some vulnerability here. This is a look into what's happening inside the bodies of black and brown folks in this country. Just a little glimpse and a little bit of hope to say that you're not alone and that there are new pathways unraveling in our midst here in Canada, in North America, and beyond. So I hope you captured some of that with our three-parter here. going to leave off once again with one of the tracks from Drew's Advent album. It's something that I really encourage you to download this Advent season. Find him on all the streaming platforms or on Bandcamp. Buy his stuff. Support him. Find him on social media. Without further ado, we'll let Drew take us out. Shine on us, oh God, I'm just Guide our path through gloom of night Bear within us wisdom's glory Come to us, O Christ the light Come to us, O Christ the light.